Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Cotbread Podcast. As always, I am Megan Light. And I'm Jesse Light. We are your host, and we are here because we love true crime. Well, I do. Jesse's kind of... It's growing on me. Hit or miss. We do love horror movies, and we do love our doggos and our cats. Over a year into this, it's not like work or anything, so... Well, well, we do work, so this is true. an extracurricular activity we do as a couple. We watched Run, Hide, Fight. I liked that movie. You did? Yeah. It is like Die Hard meets Toy Soldiers, kind of. Both great movies. We got to watch Toy Soldiers because you're like, huh? And uh, I know you've watched it with me. It's uh, from the 90s. Sean Astin's in it. They're at a preparatory school and terrorists take it over because they're looking for the son of one guy in particular. All I think about is Red Dawn. That's a good one, too. Of course, they're not in the school the whole time, but... Yeah. But it was a good one. I did like it. It was entertaining. I just wish she... And I have to like remind myself she's like a high school student and probably thinking like a high school student. But in my mind, I'm like, every room, there is something that can be a weapon. She's only ever killed a deer, so it's not that like we know she's of. a trained assassin or anything. We are also slowly making our way through CSI New York, season four out of, I think, seven, I want to say. Oh, wow. We're over halfway done. We're making good time. You've slept through like half of them. Or you would fall asleep, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep watching. You're not missing anything. I'm not that committed to it, but it's it's a good show to watch on the side. Yeah, as we're falling asleep at night, I put one on. Instead of, like, committing to a whole, like, two-hour-long movie, we can just throw that on instead. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention that Spotify does the audiobooks, but... I learned that you only get so many hours, and if you want more hours, you have to pay like twelve ninety nine. So heads up, anybody that's, I was super pumped. I listened to one book, and I didn't know about the hour thing because I broke it up between work and driving there, and then you having Spotify for Joe and. Sounds about right. That's always how they get you. Yep, I was like, oh, it literally stopped at the end of a chapter, and I was like, oh, it turned off. I thought maybe you took over. And then I went to click on it, and it was like, your time has expired. You have to wait six hours Oh my gosh. to listen again. And I was like, ugh. So I clicked on the link, and I was like, I'm not I'm not paying $13 just to listen. <laughs> she I'll always, spend that on a physical book. Yeah, she always texts me and be like, are you using Spotify? Because we're cheap, and we only have one Spotify for both of us. So. Yep, it's connected to Hulu, and I'm not giving it up for my student price. Heck from like no. years ago. Yeah. And I only listen to Joe Rogan on there. So I'm like, you know, I usually do it while she's at work. So it's very kind of you. Uh-huh. I will mention a couple of books and then I'll be done. That's fine. Okay. Go for it. Especially because the one I read yesterday, I literally read it. In start one to day. Finish the last yesterday. two books you've read in like one day each. Oh, man. Last night, well, yesterday, last night was The Hike by Lucy Clark. I like when I find a new author so I can just be like, I want every book by them. And she's got several. 
And it's a group of four besties that every year since they've been together in like elementary school have always taken a vacation in their like adult years and they just get a week away, spend time together. This time they don't go to like a beach or somewhere fancy like that. This one wanted to go on a hike and they're in, um, it's a made up country, but it's supposed to kind of be like, like Poland, Slovakia, something like that. They come across obviously obstacles and then they test their friendship and one of them ends up sacrificing herself so the other three can get away. Oh, it was so good. Have you watched the movie The Ritual? We watched it together oh, back kinda, in the day. Like that, isn't it, I That's guess? a book. Oh. That's a book, love. I almost bought it the other day, but I got a different one by the same author. Anyway, five out of five stars. I love that Dang. one. <laughs> Bless you. I read The Night Swim by Megan Golden, also in a day, the day before. And that was the one that I, I looked at the cover, and I was like, why do they all have the same damn cover? It's yes. always blue with yellow writing. Yes. I swear. That's what I like to do. I'll look at something. I'm like, ooh, that cover's pretty. Then I do, like, some investigation. But this one actually involves a girl who does a podcast, and she covers jury trials, and she goes to this town, and she's supposed to cover a specific trial. And while she's there, she keeps getting letters from this girl whose sister died in that town like 20 years prior, and it's solved but not solved because they said her death was an accident, but... Really, it was a murder, and there's so many twists throughout the whole thing. I was like, I have to just keep going. And then one more. I will, well, yeah. Yeah, one more. Because those were not, like, creepy, creepy. Those were just, like, suspense thrillers. I did read a really creepy one by Felix Blackwell called Stolen Tongues. And whole, what is that face? The that, name. <laughs> dude, it's what got my attention, and the cover is this, snowy embankment with like a shadow and it's like a tall figure and I was like I gotta see what this is oh my gosh when I finished this because I was reading it on the kindle and it's pitch black in our bedroom you know when I was done reading it I was looking into our closet in our bathroom like is it fucking there it was so good this couple is staying in a family cabin out in the middle of nowhere because that's obviously how they always go and it comes at night yes it does his, the fiance keeps having these weird uh, night walking sessions or she's talking in her sleep to somebody and like saying names. And it's this like m mystical wooded creature entity thing that's trying to get into her like mind and figure out where something is. So it's speaking to her and then she's talking back and she's possessed by it half the time, but she doesn't know. And like the creepiest one of the creepier parts, uh, I remember it so vividly, is the fiancé is nowhere to be found in the house. And so her, well, her fiancé, the guy, the main character guy, goes to look for her and he's going all over her house, can't find her. He peeks outside and he sees her and she's naked sitting on top of their car and he's calling to her, calling to her, and she's not turning around or acknowledging her, acknowledging him. And then all of a sudden she just jumps off the car and car and bolts into the woods butt ass naked butt ass naked and he's like where and he's getting ready to like run after her and then behind him he hears her voice and there she is standing in the cabin like honey what are you doing and he's like what you were just here and she's like nope i was in the bathroom so it's like a 
I don't know, like a skinwalker thing that takes the form of people mm. and can speak in their voices. Like at one point. That's crazy to read and something like that instead of visually see it yes. in a movie. Another part was that she was trying to speak to it in a different language and it didn't comprehend it. And so that's when at one point she was like, okay, this is not something real. Like mm. this is something trying to take over. Are you ready? Jesse has a survivor-ish I'm story, ready. right? I'm ready. I'm ready. So let's fucking go, love. My sources are allthatsinteresting.com, which has an article written by Genevieve Carlton. Then we got thetab.com with an article written by Haley Sowen. KIMT3 News. We got a true crime blog by Melinda Beck, then biography.com, Fox 13 News, Murderpedia, and then mirror.com. There was an article by Gail Shortland. I love how Murderpedia is one of our sources, but I mean, like, it always has, like, every article or a lot of articles written about the person. Yeah, it's a source full of a bunch of sources. Yes, it's so wonderful. It's like Wikipedia on crack. Okay. Now, this story begins on November 3rd, 1984 in Hillsborough County, specifically Tampa, Florida area. And it involves a 17-year-old girl named Lisa McVeigh. A lot different than the stories I've shared in the past because Lisa McVeigh is a survivor. Not to be confused or associated with Timothy McVeigh. There you go. No relation there. I hope not anyways. It's a popular story, but one that I've never heard of, so you can listen to it from my point of view, I guess. I had recognized the name when you texted me, but I didn't know anything about her. So born in March 1967, Lisa had a pretty rough childhood I'm not sure who her father was or if she even knew who he was. I don't think he was ever in the picture. And then her mother was a druggie who couldn't take care of herself and definitely couldn't take care of Lisa. So Lisa was just in and out of the foster care system. At 14 years old, she was forced to move in with her grandmother. And she was kind of there to take care of her grandmother, really. But her grandmother had a boyfriend who would sexually abuse Lisa nonstop. And her grandmother just stood by and let it happen. She didn't do nothing to stop it. Lisa had just grown so tired of, of her life that she was just ready to end it all at that point. She had no one to turn to, nowhere to go. At age 17, she was working at a donut shop, and she was working a double shift on November 3rd, 1984. And she actually enjoyed working there, and she liked her boss. She kind of thought of him as a father figure. And it was nice just to get away from home, that life at home. She just, you know, trying to avoid it at all costs, like she would just be upset anytime she had to walk through the door. Her plan that evening was to finish work and ride her bicycle home, and that was where and when she was planning to end her life. She had just had enough For three years, she had to go through all that sexual abuse at the house. That's too 
poor baby. That's yeah. so young to even have to go through anything. She felt like she was in hell. She felt like a nobody. She felt like there was just no future for her. She felt small. She had already written out her suicide note. It was 2 a.m. when she got off work, and she was pedaling past a church, headed home, and in a crazy twist, as she was heading home on her bike, she was attacked by a man in the dark. She didn't see him. He had come up behind her and forced her off her bike, and she screamed as loud as she could, but the man put a gun up to her temple and told her if she screamed any more, he would blow her brains out. And in that moment, all her suicidal thoughts just went out the door. She wanted nothing more than to live. Her survival instincts just kind of kicked in. At least, this was not the way she wanted to go out. If she was she wanted to go out on her own terms. Yeah, if she was gonna if she was gonna die, it was gonna be by her hands, not anyone else's. And it was nothing new for Lisa's life to be threatened. Her grandmother's boyfriend did it all the time. He stuck a gun to her head plenty of times. Shut up. Yeah, she was used to it. And she had her own ways to cope with that stuff. And this would help Lisa in this awful situation that she was in. I mean, she wasn't like any other girl. She could handle this type of stuff because she's been through it. And she also loved watching like crime television shows back then. So anything to do with solving murder, she was about it. In these crucial moments ahead, she stayed level-headed and she was amazingly able to gather some details about this man that abducted her. In that moment, she said the Lord's Prayer to herself. She told the man, I'll do whatever you want, just don't kill me. The man tied her up, blindfolded her, and threw her in his car. When he blindfolded her, she tightened her jaw so that she, when she would relax yes. it, there would be this little space below where she could see. And, you know, when you're blindfolded, you can already kind of see underneath. How smart in that, like, millisecond. I know. She is very quick thinking in, like, this whole situation. But that also kind of reminds me of, like, when we used to play Heads Up, Seven Up. Oh, I always see. Oh, yeah, you always see the person's shoe as yeah. they come by and, and put your thumb down. From under the blindfold, though, Lisa was able to see what color car and what kind of car he drove. She could see the red interior carpet of the car as well. The man told her to strip her clothes off, so she did. He asked her how old she was, and she lied, saying that she was 19. He leaned back and told her that as long as she does what he wants, he won't kill her. Then he forced her to perform oral sex on him, and then he raped her. And it just sounds like the worst possible thing in the world, but her mind was just set on surviving at this point. She dealt with the same shit at home. It was nothing new for her. I was about to say, whatever technique she does at home, just yeah. do the same thing. I know if, if it was Megan in that situation, you'd probably just bite his dick off right there. <laughs> No? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. How can you doing something? <laughs> Back to the story. As her abductor drove, Lisa kept track of the time in her head and made note of the direction they were headed. 
They drove for 20 minutes. It seemed like two hours to her. They were headed north, and she could tell that they had gotten onto the interstate because the windows were down and the wind was really strong. It almost makes me think about the call. Oh, with Halle Berry? Yeah. Yeah. Except she was in the trunk of the car. And True, but still, Lisa like, you know. Lisa was in the front she seat, was like, but yeah. We're, on, we're getting on the interstate. Yeah, she counted every step as they went up the stairs to the man's apartment. She knew there was 19 steps. So, like, if she was able to survive, she'd be able to tell the police 19 steps, headed north, all the information. Under the blindfold, she could see that the carpet was mainly green with yellow and red specks. She could even tell that the abductor was left-handed because he always had the black revolver in his left hand. He ordered Lisa to undress and get in the shower. He took her blindfold off and told her not to look at him, but she could see that he had short brown hair, and he washed her and then put the blindfold back on and threw her onto the floor and raped her again. Mm -hmm. And he tied her back up and threw her onto the bed, which happened to be a waterbed. Kind of strange. And for the next 26 hours, Lisa was raped repeatedly, slapped and punched and he reminded her that he still had a gun by rubbing the barrel of the gun up and down her back while she lay there she thought for sure that that he would kill her after he was done with her and at one point she actually overheard a news report on the tv that talked about a 17 year old girl gone missing i wonder if he would have done all this had he known she was underage yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. But when she saw that on the... Or when she heard that on the TV, because obviously she was blindfolded, blindfolded, she started freaking out, and then he threatened her to keep quiet again or he'd kill her. He'd be forced to kill her is what he'd said. So believing that the man was for sure going to kill her, she wanted to at least leave a trace of evidence there at his apartment. So the first chance she got to go to the bathroom, she pressed her fingerprints on as many places as she possibly Atta could. girl. All over the mirror, the countertop, the toilet seat, under the toilet, doorknobs, everywhere, hoping that police would be able to use that evidence to catch her killer someday or at least let them know that she had been there. Yeah, pull your hair off, anything. Find a razor, put some blood droplets somewhere. The man showed a few signs of weaknesses after a while that convinced Lisa that she might have a way out. Obviously, she pretty much remained blindfolded the whole time. But at one point, he put her hands up to his face, which wasn't a very smart move on his part. Maybe for any other girl it would be, but not for Lisa. She was able to feel what he looked like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. She knew he had a mustache, that he had scars from pimples, he had small ears, and he wasn't a fat guy, but she could tell that he was big and he seemed to be very clean. And he started to talk to her too. First, he asked her her name. Obviously, she lied and said it was Carol. He asked her to describe the girls in her high school class and what their bodies looked like when they changed in the gym. And she made things up just to get on his good side. She had to do that a lot at home with her grandmother's boyfriend, too. Just say whatever he wanted so he wouldn't beat her. Makes me want to vomit. I know. 
They talked a little bit more, and she asked him, why, why are you doing this to me? And he pretty much said it was just a way to get back at women in general because of a recent bad breakup. And this was when she kind of figured that he had probably raped other women before her. And she told him that she could just be his girlfriend. No one had to know how they really met. She could take care of him just to kind of, you know, put that in his head. She was looking for any way to survive, so she had to say what she had to say. She also made up a story to get him to kind of feel sorry for her. She told him that she had the most wonderful father back at home, but he was sick, and she was the only caregiver for him. You know, like 99 out of 100 times, that's not going to work. But Lisa was that one out of 100 case. And for whatever reason, it worked. The man gave her another woman's shirt and told her to get dressed. And he decided to take Lisa back to his car and told her that he was going to take her back home. Like, can you believe what? that? Yeah. I guess he was so confident that she didn't see his face or anything. And he was just going to let her survive. That is not how I thought that story would go so far. Me neither. Under the blindfold, she can see that he was wearing white sneakers, jeans, and a white t-shirt. He drove to an ATM and then stopped at a gas station before dropping her off behind a business around 4.30 in the morning. He told her to wait five minutes before taking off her blindfold so he could drive away. He also told her to tell her father that he's the reason why he didn't kill her. Lisa took her blindfold off, and in front of her was this beautiful oak tree, and she was never happier to be alive. She got a second chance at life. And Lisa ran all the way home in the early morning hours. Every time a car drove by, she'd get scared and thought it was going to be him changing his mind and going to grab her. And when she got home, it was right back to the abuse that had caused her to want to commit suicide in the first place. Her grandmother's boyfriend started beating her as soon as she walked in. Like, accused, where have you been? Yeah, accusing her of cheating on him. Uh-uh. Yeah. When she tried to tell them that she'd been kidnapped and raped, they didn't believe her. They just thought she was making up some bullshit excuse because she had been out with some boy that night or something. Yeah, I can see that. Luckily... When the grandmother called the police and told them that Lisa was home and fine and that it was all just a misunderstanding, they still wanted to like follow up with it because it was still like an active investigation. I'm honestly surprised her grandmother reported her missing. Unless it was the grand or the boyfriend being like, Where's my little Probably my I little don't, girl? I don't know. I'm kinda of surprised too. But it wasn't like her. She didn't run away or anything ever. The grandmother pretty much told them that Lisa was just making it all up. But still, they insisted that Lisa come down to the station, so that's what she did. And Lisa wanted to make sure that this guy got caught. At the station, she talked to a female detective first, and she didn't believe her story either. I guess Lisa was too calm, and the detective thought she was lying. After telling her story to her over and over again, finally Lisa just told her, bring me someone in here that's more intelligent. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess they thought she was a, just a teenager looking for attention. And it also seemed like everybody in there just had more important things going on. It'd be different if she had just like, I don't know. 
the fact that like I assu- I assume that her boy that her bicycle was just laying on a sidewalk or in the middle of a street, that would have me think something actually happened to her instead of her just like walking off somewhere and her bike was at the house. Or sure, I didn't even think about the bicycle just like laying out there. Yeah. Yeah. What the heck? But they did kind of have a lot going on in the station, and I'll get to that here in a sec. But it wasn't until Sergeant Larry Pinkerton came in and asked her to tell him everything. He was head of the sex crimes unit, and her attention to detail was so on point that he was like, there's no way she could be making any of this up. And he told the others, I believe her, call the FBI. Lisa wanted nothing more than for the police to catch this guy. She'd hate for it to happen to another girl when she could have done something to prevent it from happening. But a day or so after, when Lisa was back at her grandmother's house, she heard a news report about a murder victim in her area. And it turned out that there was actually a serial killer in the Tampa area. And that's what was getting all the attention from the cops when Lisa came into the station and no one really gave her the time of day except Sergeant Pinkerton. There had been eight women killed in 1984 in that area since that spring. Tampa, during the 80s, was averaging about 30 to 35 homicides per year, but with this serial killer in 1984, those numbers had escalated. And although a lot of the details of each murder were different, like different cause of death, different ways the bodies were found, there was one thing that kind of stuck out that investigators found odd. They all had these red fibers found on their bodies. The same red fibers were found on Lisa McVeigh, the red carpet interior of the car. Oh, yes. And she was convinced that the killer was her kidnapper. So she called up Pinkerton and told him there was more she needed to tell him. And he called up the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, which was investigating the murders, and said he had a live body over here that he thought was abducted by their serial killer. A live body. That's a great way to put that. Lisa told them about the car, how she saw the word Magnum on the dash, While she was blindfolded, she told them about the route they took from where she was kidnapped. She told them the number of steps up into his apartment. She told them about touching the man's face. And by her retracing her steps, they were able to narrow down what area of town he would be in. There were things that naturally she was blocking from her memory because it was just such a traumatic event. And Pinkerton asked her if she'd like to be hypnotized to help remember anything else that she was missing. And Lisa was, of course, like, okay, we'll try hypnosis. Why not? If it'll help get the killer. But with her being 17 and a minor, they had to have permission from her guardian. Ugh. So when Pinkerton spoke with her grandmother's boyfriend over the phone, they refused to grant permission and That's Pink- not her guardian. I don't, That's her guardian's boyfriend. Yeah, I don't think he knew that or wasn't aware, but he thought it was odd that he wouldn't allow that. Oh, he's probably afraid you know? she's going to talk about him doing stuff to probably. her. And he saw that Lisa was upset, and he was like, is there something else going on at home? And Lisa 
pissed off, she revealed to him that, yes, she was being sexually abused at home as well. And thankfully, this led to her grandmother's boyfriend being arrested. Thank God, piece of shit. I w- yeah, I wish they would have arrested the grandmother, too, for letting it happen in front of her like that. You're supposed to protect your grandchild, not let something like that happen. So I'm sure this was a big weight lifted off Lisa's shoulders, but the job wasn't done yet. She wanted to see her abductor locked away for good as well. After the whole ordeal at her grandmother's house, Lisa was placed in a center for runaway teens. And with her abductor still out there, I mean, what's stopping him from coming back for? So she was like constantly looking over her shoulder and having nightmares. The police staked out that route that Lisa provided to them and they found the ATM that they must have stopped at on the way to setting her free. They looked for Dodge Magnums in the Florida vehicle registration database as well, and they thought they found the man they were looking for. So they monitored his every movement. They saw him putting things in a big green trash bin outside his home and saw him draining his waterbed like he was planning to get out of town or something. And they put his picture into a photo lineup for Lisa, and she pointed to him right away. Nice. She was 110% sure he was the guy. She was like, that was the face that I felt. Just 12 days after Lisa's abduction, police arrested the man named Bobby Joe Long outside a movie theater. And it was all thanks to Lisa McVeigh. Unfortunately, in those 12 days... Bobby Joe Long had taken the lives of two more women. Ugh. Crazy that he let Lisa survive, but she was different. And if it wasn't for her, I don't think he would have ever gotten caught. Or it sure would have taken him a longer time, that's for sure. He would have had to make another mistake. So who was this Bobby Joe Long? Well, he was born in Canova, West Virginia in 1953. He had a troubled childhood... His parents, Luella and Joe, split up when he was a young boy, so he spent most of his childhood with his mother in Florida. And he had a hard time growing up. He had been in a couple different accidents resulting in some brain injuries. I know one was from a fall from a swing set. And he also developed a hatred for women, starting with his mother. She worked at a downtown bar and entertained the local men there. She wore pretty revealing clothes and brought different men home with her after work. I could have called that almost. And it didn't help the situation that Bobby Joe shared a bed with her until he was 12 years old. So he definitely got a close look at all these guys coming in and out of the house. Yeah, Mommy, I don't want to see his winky. (laughs) (laughs) Then you got to take into account that Bobby Joe was born with an extra chromosome which resulted in him growing breasts at the age of 13, which he would have surgery for, but he still got made fun of in school for it. They were bullying him a lot. Long met Cindy Brown when he was 13 years old, his childhood sweetheart. They met at a local park, and they ended up getting married in 1974, and they had two children together. Everything was fine and good at first. They had a lot of fun together. They'd go to the movies and spear fishing. Not at the same time, I don't think, but Cindy said he was a very caring person and they were just the best of friends. 
but the stress of parenthood became a little too much for the young couple. And on top of that, Long was in yet another serious accident. He was hit by a vehicle while on his motorcycle, and this led to him being hospitalized for several weeks. And Cindy would later say that Bobby Joe's temper changed after yeah, that. He just wasn't the same. Yeah, like right away, too. He became short-tempered, and he became violent with her. It's like if he didn't get what he wanted, he'd get pissed off. If he didn't like what she cooked, he'd have a fit about it, and they'd end up in an argument. And then he'd be impatient with their children. And he developed this compulsive and often dangerous sex drive. And crime analysts would later label him as a sexual sadist. Cindy was actually hospitalized herself after a beating by Bobby Joe, and she feared that she might not survive the next one. So she filed for divorce in 1980. After that, Bobby Joe would move in with a female friend of his named Sharon Richards, and she would later accuse him of rape and battery. In 1983, Bobby Joe was charged with sending an inappropriate sexual letter and photographs to a 12-year-old Florida girl. Oh, my God. And that was when he earned his first jail sentence and probation. But it would start getting worse and worse from there. Long became a rapist after that. And his go-to method would be to look for for sale signs on homes and then like go through newspaper ads for furniture and other items for sale and any opportunity to enter a home when a woman was alone, he'd take that opportunity. According to police, he had committed more than 50 rapes. I was about to say, he probably has a very high number. That was in a span of only like one year. It was like late 1983 to 84. That's like any time you want to buy something off Marketplace and you're like, uh... Yeah, like, don't meet him at your house either. Mm-mm. By the spring of 1984, Bobby Joe Long had graduated to murdering the women instead. At first, he would look to have his sexual desires met, but then it would get even more violent. And he would target smaller women, obviously, because they're easier to manhandle. And they would usually work as prostitutes or exotic dancers. His first victim in March 1984 was Artis Wick. He assaulted and raped her, then decided he wasn't done and strangled her to death. In May 1984, Bobby Joe Long offered a ride to a young woman walking down Nebraska Avenue in Tampa. Her name was Lena Long. He pulled the car off to the side of the road and took out his knife, and she tried to fight back, but he was able to tie her up and strangle her to death as well. He left her body on a remote road, and she was found face down with her hands bound behind her back and her legs spread far apart. Like, they measured it, and it was like five feet apart. So Uh. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but it seems like he probably did. But two boys were out playing, and they ended up discovering her body. Oh, that's unfortunate. Michelle Sims was his next victim. She was 22 years old. He lured her into his car, too, and after beating her and raping her, he slashed her throat repeatedly. Detectives connected her to Lena Long by the red nylon fiber found on both women. 
even though one was strangled to death and one had her throat slashed, I mean, they still had those red fibers. Back then, DNA hadn't progressed enough to help, so those fibers and some tire tracks that were found at both crime scenes helped a lot. Police then found 22-year-old Elizabeth Loudenbach. Her body was badly decomposed. She was lying on her back, fully clothed and not bound. And she was different than the others. She wasn't a drug user or a prostitute or a stripper. So it's like there's no, yeah, there's no real pattern here besides the red fibers. Chanel Williams, 18 years old, was the next to fall victim. She was walking along a Tampa street when she got picked up by him. He attempted to strangle her, but then he pulled out his gun and shot her in the neck. So he went from strangling to slitting throats to shooting one. Gosh, that progression. Yeah. Police then found the bodies of Karen Den's friend, 28 years old, and Kimberly Hopps, 22 years old. Both strangled to death. Then in early November, it was the Lisa McVeigh story. And then after releasing Lisa, Long killed two more women, Virginia Johnson and Kim Swan. And his ex-wife, Cindy, was asked about this, and she admitted that she was deeply shocked. She said she would have never believed it, never in a million years, which surprises me because... He put you in the hospital. Yeah. You ran for your life, practically. Yeah. But they always say that, that they never would have believed it. Bobby confessed to the murder of the eight victims police knew about, then confessed to two more, Vicki Elliott and Artis Wick. He showed no remorse and admitted that he just killed when he got the urge to. Seemed like you get the urge to do things often. Yeah, and he confessed to over 50 rapes across the state of Florida. He said if, if he didn't do it, if he tried not to do it, it'd be okay for a day or two, but it wouldn't stop. It would go on until he did it. Then when he would do it, it'd be okay for a month, two months, three months, sometimes longer, sometimes a couple weeks, sometimes a week. Then it would just hit him again. The next year, April 1985, Long was convicted of first-degree murder in the Virginia Johnson case and was sentenced to death. Later that year, he pled guilty to eight Hillsborough County murders. He was convicted of the eight, among several other charges. He was handed more than two dozen life sentences, and in the summer of 1986, he was sentenced to death by electrocution. Oof. Now, Lisa's life changed for the better. When she aged out of the runaway center, they asked if she had any other relatives to live with. They found her mother in a crack house, so obviously that was not going to be an option, so... She moved in with her Aunt Carol and Uncle Jim, which was a much better environment for her. They had no idea what she had been going through. Otherwise, they would have tried to step in sooner. Lisa worked some jobs as like a secretary and then some other odd jobs. Then in 1995, she got a job working at the Hillsborough County Department for Parks and Recreation. There was a time when she had to report a break-in at the office, and the deputy that came out told her that she had the attitude to be a cop. So 
1999, she was a dispatcher for the Hillsborough Sheriff's Office, and she became a reserve deputy. And she just wanted to make sure it was a good fit before fully committing. And then in 2004, she signed up for the police academy. Good for her. And every person from the department she ever talked to told her that she just had a knack for it. Well, when you were talking about her paying such close attention mm-hmm. to details, I was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She just got it. She would join the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, which was the same department that arrested Bobby Joe Long. So I thought that was really cool. Full circle. Yep. And she specialized in sex crimes and working with children. She also worked as a school resource officer and a motivational speaker, and she stayed close friends with Larry Pinkerton. I mean, he was the first person to really believe her, so Mm -hmm. no surprise there. Within two years of her abduction, she got married to another police officer and gave birth to a daughter soon after that. And today, Lisa is a grandmother, and she uses her... Married name, Lisa Noland. That's good. There was a movie that came out in 2018 called Believe Me, The Abduction of Lisa McVeigh. I watched it twice. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually aired at a special screening in the exact same Tampa movie theater that Bobby Joe Long was arrested outside of. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, Lisa and some of her friends and family attended the screening and all the proceeds from the ticket sales went to... Mary Lee's house, which provided services to victims of domestic violence. I definitely recommend you go check that one out. You might like that more than listening to me talk about it for an hour. I don't know. It's Would all, you YouTube it? It's on YouTube. It's it's a lifetime movie, but I think it's on Hulu also. But YouTube, I mean, it was good quality, so... It tells Lisa's whole story starting from just before her abduction... In 2019, Ron DeSantis and the state of Florida had Bobby Joe Long executed after 34 years on death row. That's a long time. That is really 34 years. Lisa not only was sitting front row to witness this, but she was also wearing a shirt, and you'll like this. It said on the front, long, dot, 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 overdue. I love it. And Lisa wanted to be the first person that Bobby Joe Long saw. She wanted to look him in the eye. Unfortunately, he never opened his eyes, and he didn't have any final words. There was actually another survivor that was there for the execution. Linda Nuttall said that there was no describing how that moment would feel. She and her husband had placed an ad in the newspaper in 1984 to sell some furniture. She was at home alone with her two children when Bobby Joe Long showed up to the house acting like he wanted to buy the furniture. He asked to use the bathroom, and when he came back out, he had his rape kit and attacked her on the bedroom floor. And he thought that he killed her, but somehow she survived. So Did he try to strangle her? I, or? Think, I think he tried to strangle her. And she said it's just surreal, but it closes another door for her. He got what he deserved. Today's just another chapter. And for Lisa, it was comforting to know that it was finally happening. 34 years waiting for that. That's got to be nerve-wracking. And she said to the media afterwards, 
Bobby Joe Long, hear me loud and clear. Hear my roaring voice. May God have mercy on your soul. Long overdue. The reason why I say thank you now is that I have forgiven you for what you have done to me. Had I not forgiven you, I might as well be in my own prison without walls. Then in an interview in 2020, she said she had been in the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office for 17 years and school resource officer for seven years. She was at a middle school and they knew her as Mama Bear. Nobody messed with her kids and they knew that. If a student was ever having a hard time, she'd tell them a story about a girl whose family abandoned her and who was kidnapped and raped, and she'd tell them, do you think she lost her way? No, she became a police officer, and you're looking at her. And I'll end it with these words from Lisa. God has shown me the only way to really be free when someone bestows injustice against you is complete forgiveness. My life changed forever and for the better. I chose not to remain a victim. I chose to live. And that is the story of Lisa McVeigh. Good job, love. Thanks. I feel like the next episodes are just going to be shit because that was so... I mean, what... You love to see a survivor. Yes. And I wanted to throw in all the victims in there and say their names and what happened to them and stuff. That's just tough. But... If it wasn't for her, they, you know. There'd be more. Their families wouldn't get justice, too. There'd be way more victims. There would, because he was just escalating and escalating. And he already said that his pattern, you know, he'd taper off for a little bit when he felt fulfilled. fulfilled, And then he, I mean, who knows how long that would have gone on. And it's like the Samuel Little case where he would go after the druggies or the Mm -hmm. strippers or the prostitutes that nobody really wanted to look investigate yeah so by the time their bodies were found they're just he already killed like five more it's ridiculous but 34 years though to be executed yeah that's wild props to ron DeSantis for that i guess I guess he should have done that sooner or somebody. Somebody should have. There's states just paying for that guy to be eating three Mm -hmm. meals a day, sitting in a box. That's to me, you know, it's hit or miss with the death penalty because you just, that's just a big debate, not going there. But at the same time, people that get life in prison, that doesn't seem like a punishment enough unless i know they're getting shanked every day or raped right. every day some people would prefer to be in prison than to like be out on the streets so i mean look at all the homeless people we have one around conway if somebody gets arrested they've got a warm place to sleep at night mm-hmm. what's stopping them from doing a crime just to get into yeah, prison yeah that was a good story though very heartwarming there at the end i'm glad that she took her experience and what happened to her and made it something positive and something she can share and let others that have gone through it know that they're not alone and that you can come out on top. Yeah, you don't like, have to take the same paths as some that's have done. Awesome. That's awesome that she joined the whole department that arrested him in the first place and then being a motivational speaker too. 
I, I could feel got, like I felt that coming on just because like that was just yeah. something a survivor would do. Yeah, she needs to go to CrimeCon. I'd listen to her. We, Dude, we definitely go let's to hers. Petition for right? that. We can email them. Be like, can you find? Especially all oh, this past year when it was oh, in Orlando. Been, yeah, that would have been perfect. perfect. It's like an hour away. Well, oh. three hours with the traffic, but oh, whatever. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Nashville will be. It won't be as bad. We can walk. Yeah. We got to do our research. Mm-hmm. Right, Derby? That wraps up another episode here on the Caught Red Podcast. If you like us, share us. You can leave a review wherever you listen. That helps more people find us and find our critters. You can look us up on Facebook and Instagram. You just have to remember that we spell it P-A-W-D for podcast. Send us any recommendations that you have. We like to branch out. And we will be back next week with some more true crime. But until then, stay local, shop local, murder local. <laughs>